with people who are allowed to breed and those who are not allowed to breed. We also see fertility rates dropping like a stone, and that was also forecast because the big boys had lots of meetings which they published, world meetings on reducing the population, where they discussed all the methods to bring that about, including the food, water, and everything else that we take for granted. Therefore, when the United Nations publishes the next sperm count, which is about time that they did it, they always do it every year, and it's down 75% or probably 80%, there'll be no big deal. They never back up why it's not a crisis, because it's intended that way. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix, this big thick mass that clouds reality and we have distortions of our perceptions which are well backed up by repetition as Mr. Russell said, repetition does wonders and eventually when all your friends are repeating the same stuff you know you'll be the odd one out if you don't go along with them, they'll think you're odd but that's alright, it's a good sign that you're actually waking up and you're looking at the robots around you and that's where decision time comes. If you want to remain in the land of robots and talk r- robot-speak, or do you want to say something that matters and hopefully someone out there will hear it? That's what I do. I'm trying to cut through this incredible scientific indoctrination we've been given, the very indoctrination that was written about and spoken about at many lectures worldwide by Lord Bertrand Russell the scientific technique of indoctrination and he did mention it wouldn't just be through school it would be long lasting it would be your whole life long in fact continuing education through propaganda and they've got on board the big marketing companies to make that happen and it's been tremendously successful we also find CIA, MI6 and other big spook agencies have been running the culture industry since at least openly well amongst themselves since the 1950s now they're only admitting that they've been doing it that also goes with the fashion industry and I always tie that back to Plato's Republic written 2,300 odd years ago where he talked about this very technique of creating a reality for the masses and how even then all culture had to be authorized from the top down because anything coming up from the grassroots could have unforeseen consequences it would cause ripple effects in their system therefore everything is authorized even the rebellious outputs that every generation are given by the fashion industry that they're designed for them is all okayed and when we go back to the writings of Charles Galt and Darwin quite a big, big character up there with eugenics he was also a physicist in the 1940s and 50s and he wrote the next million years and in that book is almost a question-answer type type of scenario almost in the, on the, the style of Plato where you have these dialogues with real or imaginary people but it's a way to get their information out to their own friends and Charles Galton Darwin the grandson of Charles Darwin you find it, it, it's interesting because their purpose is hereditary 
it's, it's tremendously interest. They're so closely inbred uh, that the bankers will turn out bankers who will stay bankers, and uh, the, the guys into eugenics and so on will stay in the same field for generations. They're almost like clones. Their parents are so inbred. And it's the closest thing there are to clones is when you have three, four, five, six generations of inbreeding between two families. But uh, he talks about the structure and function of government. And he said, on page 193, he says, if transportation is easy, world conquest will be easier, both for military reasons and because the more uniform culture should make the world government more acceptable. A uniform culture. And this is happening right now. People think we're living in diversity, but they're not. You see, when everyone has no moral um, uh, opinions about things, everything's relative, moral relativism, uh, then you think that anything goes. But who does it serve? Now, those at the bottom might think it serves us, but it's reserved those at the top because they introduce the new norms as we're going through letting go of all the old ones. Very simple technique. And you have to be able to look at both sides of everything to understand the big picture. He goes on to say, too, this is Darwin, widespread wealth can never be common in an overcrowded world. Always been a big problem with these guys is overpopulation. And so in most countries of the future, the government will inevitably be autocratic or oligarchic. This is what we've got, you see. Some will give good government and some bad. And the goodness of or badness will depend much more on the personal merits of the rulers than it does in a more democratic country. Whatever forms the government may take, there can be little doubt that the world will spontaneously divide itself into what I call provinces, that is to say, regions. Now remember that was back, he wrote that back in the 1950s, and that's what we have under the United Nations today, and we're amalgamating uh, the Americas and so on. So he talks about regions, though with no permanently fixed boundaries, which possess some homogeneity of climate, character, and interest. I use the same word whether the different provinces are federated together or whether they are what we should now call separate sovereign states. How large will be these provinces tend to be? That will depend on the means of communication and transport. And so once there, there arises the question of whether the fuel problem is solved wholly or partially or not at all. In the past, the chief means of communication was through the horse and the countries of Europe are still mostly a size adopted to suit this almost extinct means of transport. Though some of the new, more modern countries do show a, a trace of the influence of the railway. Uh, none of them are really of a size suited to the motor car or the airplane or to present power production, whether by coal, water, etc. If the fuel problem is solved completely so that mechanical power and transportation is available in the future to a greater extent than even at present, then the provinces will be large. For example, the whole of Europe may well be one and the whole of North America another. He then goes on to describe how human nature is not designed to live in cities. Something that the ancients knew. The ancients knew that in the stories of Nimrod, there's only one name for the same character that was worshipped in every country at one time. And Nimrod was always given 
the title of the city builder along with his wife. The city was a first artificial structure to contain people. And within a city, since nothing has grown, uh, then they cannot support themselves. They need money to do it, a substitute for barter. And they can then hire people, which is the first hired army as well, and they've been off to conquer other city-states and rural areas. So uh, this system goes back a long time, and that's what they call the beginnings of civilization, the building of the city-states. That's what it's all about, an artificial system. Uh, with a religion behind it. But Galton Darwin himself understands this. Uh, he knows his history, and he has access or had access to archives, as all the big ones do. Archives that are kept close to the public, where the real histories and complete histories are kept. Some professors admit to this, that the maybe one in, in 61 and 80 are eventually given access to certain archives and even then they have to be very careful what they're allowed to tell the public so people should read Charles Galton Darwin's The Next Million Years a fantastic read because everything he talked about then wasn't coming from his own mind he'd been at many many global meetings in his day uh, with the elite, his own class uh, where all of this was discussed Begin back to the city, he said that even though it's an unnatural state for people to be crowded into cities, he talks about them being easier to control by the authorities because they're dependent upon everything that they need for survival, ultimately from those authorities and their uh, the sort of pipelines of food, water, etc. They come through. And he said through scientific training, uh, they could become used to it and maybe even made to be dependent upon it, thinking it was the most natural thing that there was. Those who've grown up in cities don't realize that prior to the Great Depression, in the Americas especially, most folk, 97%, lived outside the cities on the land. And that's where they were far healthier, mentally and physically. The Depression was the means to get them into the big cities and to lose their land and you see the effects of it today and now everyone is under layer upon layer upon layer of massive bureaucracies and various organizations of enforcement from child welfare all the way up to the police and military and all the rest of it quite a, a system we live in and yet because it's been done incrementally it seems quite natural to most people you turn on television and your favorite sitcoms are on, the world must be all right. Very, very simple. So people should look into Charles Galton Darwin's writings because, as I say, he wasn't speaking off the top of his head. But he does mention, too, that the creation of a creed, which is a religion, would be very helpful, very, very helpful, because it could last a few generations where simply appealing to the morality of people along a certain pathway uh, doesn't work too well but religion does and what he was referring to was the new age what's now called the new age it's something that's been promulgated uh, for the last at least since the 1960s much more openly and heavily although they started it in the late 1800s by Blavatsky and others 
because you've got to have a religion uh, to keep the people acting uniformly. Even though they're all thinking they're, they're doing their own thing, they're not. They're being very, very uniform because they're given the choices, limited choices of what to pick, but really they all lead along the same pathway, which is a form of mind control. And the New Age has worked wonders. It's been marketed primarily initially towards women because they understood uh, the psyche of the female and they gave the men sports and, and crazy stuff like that. We're all understood perfectly well and manipulated by the scientists. Back with more after these messages. It has another purpose. 
and they use coercion into getting their agendas through, not for the, the happiness of the public. On page 99, he says, Civilization has taught man how to live in dense crowds, and by that very fact, those crowds are likely to ultimately constitute a majority of the world's population, some of the city-states. And you, you notice that the UN a few years ago started to advise that we increase the size of the cities to be called super-cities or city-states. It seems to provide uh, a model. No, he says, um, he says, already there are many people who prefer this crowded life, but there are others who do not, and these will gradually be eliminated some of the rural people. Life in the crowded conditions of cities has many unattractive features, but in the long run, these may be overcome, not so much by altering them, the conditions, but simply by changing the human race into liking them. You understand what he's saying there? Do you understand they can make us think anything is normal and even get us to like the abnormal? Quite simple quite simple. They understood humanity a long, long time ago. We are the most studied species on the planet. Now we'll go to uh, the phones. Clarence in Oklahoma. Are you there, Clarence? Yes. Hello, Alan. Yeah, go ahead. This is, I love your program. This is the best expositions I've had since I graduated from college. This is like my college extension class right now. Uh-huh. Listening to your talks. And you said so much, you know, and I started out, but the, the last thing you said is absolutely true. You can get people to accept anything mm-hmm. if uh, you uh, have the rules. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say was uh, that uh, brought it about. <laughs> I remember my grandparents, and I'm 56 years old, my grandparents, uh, or my, uh, the ones that lived that I knew, uh, they lived through the Depression. And like you said, you said exactly what I was going to say. At that time, the United States was mostly agrarian. So it didn't have that big of an effect. It didn't... Well, it had an effect. It did, but these people, they farmed. They were... What I want to say is, governments... And that's why the family farmers have been pushed off their farms. Mm -hmm. This was done by design. Yeah. And has been, you know, that's why you got Archer, Daniels, Midland, and Conagra, yep. and all these people. They don't want small family farmers, and they're pushing them out because they're independent. Mm-hmm. They can live independently, and the controllers, those that are above our government. That's with, there's one thing they hate is, is undisciplined or uncontrolled slaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what they want us all to be eventually. And yeah. that's what they're working on. They're working on. The United Nations, if you look into the Department of Agriculture, you remember they were just the, the metamorphosis from the League of Nations. They said mm-hmm. farming was too important to be left to small farmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, could you hold me over? I got a couple. Sure. I'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix. And we have Clarence from Oklahoma still on the line. Are you there, Clarence? Yes, sir, I sure am. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many things I could... Uh, you know, I've listened to your show and others so long I could talk about. But what I want to say is that uh, there is a... Uh, this thing's been going on, and as you well know, and, and this is what I've been learning, I have a bachelor's degree from a land-grant university near where I live. And uh, I think listening to your show long enough, uh, somebody ought to somewhere ought to give me at least a master's, you know, after I figure you know, yeah. listen to you. But that's, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Those things don't mean, those are just imprimaturs of the uh, people, the elites, the ruling people through the yep. education system. And I understand that now. Yep. I understand what I've been through. And I finally woke up, and they don't like people that wake up because they can't control them. They, uh, there'll be people that'll be out, you know, saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. But yep. I, uh, beside that, what I wanted to say is that uh, this is a bit, I, I did take a college course back. 30-some years ago at a local junior college before I went to the uh, the big college. And uh, I had a sociology instructor who, and I, I, since I woke up, I now remember, this came back to my memory. I had forgotten this class. He was quite a character. He was very unconventional. And uh, I, I doubt if he's in teaching right now as unconventional as he was. Actually, the guy reminded me of George Carlin. He was rather opinionated. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, he went to the blackboard. Remember when there were blackboards and chalk? And yeah. So, yeah. So he went up there. He drew three triangles on that blackboard. Mm -hmm. He said, these represent pyramids. Mm -hmm. He told us that right at the beginning. These represent pyramids. Then he went to the very tip of each one and drew a... Uh, horizontal line through the top of each one equal at the top of that uh, each pyramid so the first pyramid is academia the second pyramid is the government military everything that the third pyramid is the corporations the bankers mm -hmm. all that then he started drawing he, he took from those little tips. He would draw lines with a little arrow from each one to, uh, to I mean, to look like missiles going over the top of the earth at a nuclear war. He drew all that. He said, they are interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. It's a power structure, as I say, that goes back thousands of years. And people realize there were corporations even thousands of years ago. They formed combines. You used to call them combines, uh, where they had similar interests in resources, etc., and markets, and the, the, uh, the really international corporations, uh, even as early as Sumer, the priesthoods mm -hmm. there literally took track of all commerce coming in and out, and drew up all the legal papers, uh, and, uh, and even chiseled them in stone, and there's thousands and thousands left there, which we, people are still reading, uh, and it traded with India, and even set up Bahrain as the main country that was a staging port for trade with India and um, uh, that was that their prime commerce was putting wool out there but they also had uh, lawyers which were priests as well 
which dealt with land divisions and and sub um, uh, the breaking up of other lands to smaller pieces and who owned them and so on. And they had taxation systems for everything, including death duties when you were when you died. Mm. Nothing is new. Nothing is new. And these characters understood uh, mathematics and geometry uh, to a, a very high degree. Uh, so they, they'd already inherited sciences from a much, much earlier period, obviously. Uh, and yet, uh, what you, when you trace the Phoenicians, for instance, a, a term broadly used uh, for people who literally had the, the world's trading routes, the ancient world, for maybe a few hundred years, and kept it all so secret, they never told anyone else where they got their resources from. Um, the Phoenicians set up uh, literally factory towns with slaves in them, and they financed wars, too, from all their profits. And from every country they'd take over, uh, generally through debt, because they introduced money to those countries and then got them into debt and took over the countries. They created bigger and bigger countries we now call empires. They were empire builders, and they used everyone behind them as a slave. And nothing really has changed down to the present day. When we see that other third pyramid that exists with corporations, international corporations, uh, inside that same pyramid, you'd also find thousands of what we call institutions. And it's an interesting word, institute. It's something that's not quite um, public, but it's supposed to serve a public good according to whoever implemented it and authorized it. And you, you'll find it's the same boys at the top that run the money, who run the institutions, and they are completely integrated. And armies, again, um, were recruited by the Phoenicians, uh, from the slaves, from the conquered peoples, they would become slaves. They put them into a military and use them slave armies. Mm-hmm. Today it's different. Even this guy Charles Galton Darwin said something awfully interesting. Um, he said, "We're simply. He said, There's always existed a form of slavery. In previous times, of course, it was much more obvious. You're, you're either born or taken into slavery. And uh, your children, if you had children while you were in slavery, that belonged to the master as well. That was part of paying off the debt." And we're doing the same thing today to a different means. It's through taxation and debt and, and national taxes and national debt. Something that uh, you'll find even the founding fathers talked about, a generation born into paying off the debt from a previous generation are de facto slaves. Nothing has changed here at all. It's the same system. And now the, the world, the throne of the world is their goal. And by careful working and networking, incredible incredible communication and networking for the last, uh, say, 100 years, more openly, by their publications at least, uh, that they're pretty well, they've pretty well pulled it off. And they said there would be no opposition to this. They, they said that there can only be one standardized world, one standardized culture. And the United Nations, when it started up, said, oh yes, we're about diversity and you can keep your sovereignty culture, etc. That was the big lie that they told, because you go back further in the United Nations, and here they are telling them that the League of Nations in 1917, uh, they'd have to do the same thing, standardize a world culture, and then introduce eugenics, etc., etc., etc. So they're born liars, they con the public, but they also control us through, through all the entertainment they give us that we think is for our benefit. Uh, it's, it's destroyed conversation, it's destroyed family life. No one talks in a family anymore. They just stare at the television. And people don't have opinions of their own, although they'll fight you to keep the opinion they've adopted. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I want to mention one more thing, and I'll let you go back to any other callers and everything. But I've also noticed what all these people from these empires and from, you know, the ruling elites, and they've been here all along, they, they change names throughout the uh, millennia. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're here. Uh, they, it, it's a matter of uh, the human race is nothing more than a little tribe that grew big. Yeah. And what they've done is uh, it, it branched out, and think about it. I saw a thing. I watched the BBC News this morning. They had an uh, article, uh, little, a little deal on Kazakhstan. Yep. Stalin moved all of, yeah, that was his big prison colony, yep. was Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And the Kazakhs are less than 50% now, but they're, since they became, indep- quote, independent, they really aren't, but they're starting to assert their culture again. Mm-hmm. And he sent people from all kinds of nations and cultures and religions from throughout the Soviet Union there to prison camps. Yep. Of course, a lot of them got up, and they're going to, and the Kazakhs were originally a nomadic people, like the, that's what the nature of the human species is. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they told about how they took their language away, and they taught them Russian, and now they're trying to learn their language back. I myself here in Oklahoma, I am uh, one quarter blood quantum uh, Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And uh, believe me, I know only about two or three words of that language. Yeah. And so what they're doing there, they did the same thing to my, the, uh, not just my people, but all the other tribes, because there are so many yeah. other Native Americans. Well, you'll find with people, with, with the system, is that there's many ways to define genocide when you realize how much goes into, it's not just killing people off. Uh, Britain was, was very good at that, too. You find very few people in, in, say, Scotland, for instance, now who can speak Gaelic. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, for a generation, it was forbidden to speak it on pain of death by London. Mm-hmm. And they sent teachers up to ensure that that's all that was taught to the, to the children, to destroy any remnant of memory of that culture. And they did the same the world wide over. Wherever they've gone, they've done the same thing. And the same thing with American Indians. Um, and forcing them into uh, another religion, etc. But definitely, uh, it was mandated they could not speak their religion in classroom. They were very, they were brutalized. Even in Canada here, there's cases going out in the West Coast right now. The, the brutalization, and it's by the Anglican Church that sent in the ministers and teachers. Uh, they were, they were, they were, they were awfully abusive to the children there, uh, to an awful extent. If they, they tried to use their own language in school. Mm-hmm. But that's what's called genocide. That's all part and parcel of genocide, to destroy yeah. and eradicate a culture. That's uh, exactly what uh, my ancestors, a uh, quarter of them, experienced. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those you know, people, the other quarter, or from where you're from, and from you know, uh, Scots, Irish, Dutch, German, yeah. uh, all of Europe. The rest of me is European. Mm-hmm. But I always identify with the underdog and the people that were... And those other people that were sent over here, the, the the regular people, they didn't know what they were doing. No, they didn't. This no, the, no, they, they wouldn't didn't. like In the, fact, yeah. the, the best way to get them across was to create famines at home or drive them off their land. They cleared them, and the Scotland was clear. They called it the Highland Clearances. That was by law. And it was the Redcoats with the bayonet and uh, the big cannon. They literally took uh, thousands and thousands of people and clans and put them on ships and sent them abroad to depopulate the country. Gosh. Yeah, that's 
thanks yeah. for calling, though. I think okay, I sure appreciate it. It's been great talking to you, Alan. Oh, okay. You hang in there. Bye-bye. Bye now. Now we've got Z in California. Are you there? Hello? Yeah, hi, Alan. Yes. Yeah, hi. Thanks a lot for taking my call, man. I do appreciate everything you do. You, uh, you have one of the best shows out there. I do appreciate it. Uh, I have a question for you. Actually, I have a two questions for you. Uh, first question is, have you ever uh, read um, Isaac Asimov's uh, series, the robot series books? Yeah, years uh, ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was one of my favorite series. Um, but the fascinating thing about that is that uh, all the citizens of the you of the earth are living inside of giant domes yes. and they're petrified of going outside yes. because of a biological threat that they perceive mm-hmm. and they've been so conditioned that they cannot leave yeah. and these giant super cities is what kind of uh, you were talking about earlier uh, so I think uh, what, what is your thoughts on that is that some sort of a well, well, uh, foreshadowing back, of what's going to happen or? Um, they knew back then that they'd have to create some incredible scenario to terrify the public for total control these characters will pull off world, whole world con games on a grand scale to get their way. It's like when they went to the moon, and as a child I saw the flag fluttering on the moon when they stuck the thing in. I said, well, there's no air on the moon. Why is it fluttering in a breeze? Uh, you saw about incredible con games that are pulled on a Absolutely. global scale. And it's like Adolf Hitler said, if you're going to tell a lie, you tell a big one. Yeah, <laughs> and, the bigger the and, lie is, the yeah, and, and so this whole scenario to get folk into domes is quite real. Yeah, I've got uh, a lot of documentation here from people working with the United Nations, where they've got all these uh, these drawings of these domes, even ones for the elderly, uh, ones for the workers, etc., etc. Yeah. These are going to be the new habitat areas of the future. But I spoke to a top architect. Um, who is also one of the biggest, the richest guys on the planet. This is architecture is his hobby, and he owns hundreds of, of companies and, and other corporations. This guy, uh, Galen Weston, his name is. Prince Charles is on his polo team, not the other way around. And uh, he showed me some of his drawings back in the in the eighty early eighties um, that he'd done, and it was exactly the same thing. It was these massive domes. Sort of geodesic type domes. Yeah. It, was in, it was covering the whole of what would then be the next Toronto, a much smaller Toronto, but, but a Toronto nonetheless. And I said, well, where's all the other houses? He said, oh, they won't be there. And he said, all, all traveling will be done underground by a subway, so you'll, people would never go into the open air. Yeah, absolutely. Just like um, what is happening in these books is this, this exact same thing. Uh, yeah. This is exactly it. And Asimov was known to have... Uh, you know, contact. He knew what was going to happen. He, yeah, he, he belonged to the futurist society. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's right. Now, my second question is: I'm, I forgive me if this is something that's common knowledge, but uh, are you in any way related to Alan Watts? The not that, of, not that I know of. I've, I've got relatives certainly all over the place. Even some apparently went to California. Yeah, and they owned some oil fields in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but. Um, Fascinating. I was just wondering because you guys had a very similar name. So, uh, you know, but uh, thank you very much for all your, everything you do. You uh, do an excellent job and uh, keep it up. Don't ever uh, stop doing it. Yeah, I'll try my best. Keep it up, man. Take care. Thanks for calling. Yeah, and so everything that happens, as I say, was planned a long time ago. And yet, and yet when they bring things forward to the general public, it's as though it's a response to an immediate crisis. That's how it's presented to us. Yet, these characters were talking about these massive. Dome cities 
back in the, the 60s that we know of and publishing it in science fiction books and then doing drawings in the 70s and 80s on the same scenarios. And just to get back to Galton Darwin for a minute and talk about slavery, when he said that the world has always had slavery in one form or another, he said we are simply in the process, this is the 1950s, we're simply in the process of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. What he meant by that is a system where you'll be truly, truly in belief that you are free. In fact, you'll think you've never been so free. And look at it today, when about 60% of people's incomes through various taxations, direct and indirect, is taken right back out their pocket again. Uh, taxation is a form of slavery when your labor is taxed. That's the law. That's the law, you see. It's always been the law. It's always common law, too, long before the Putin books. And yet but the people do it as though it's all quite natural because their parents did it, too. As I say, mammals and the offspring of mammals, the offspring look to the adults for signs of danger and what they should be wary of. If the parents don't know, the human parents don't know, then the children won't think there's anything odd about the society which they're brought up in. And we've got a generation growing up, which is exactly what they wanted, who will think there's been terrorism forever. They'll, they'll never know a time without checkpoints and ID cards and eventually chips. They'll think it's always been here. We've always been under some kind of weird attack. And that's essential for their plan. Back with more after the following messages. Hi, I'm Alan Watt. Coming through the Matrix, we've got a couple of minutes to go and we have one caller. We'll try to squeeze them in. That's John from Chicago. Are you there, John? Uh, yes, Ellen, I'm here. Yeah. Um, I just had a question. Actually, I've been going through your website over the weekend. I've been uh, watching uh, all the videos, and I was actually thinking about uh, picking up the books, but I had a question regarding um, the shows that you have, uh, ancient uh, religions, history, whether any of that information is pretty much the same as in the books, because it's kind of expensive to get the CDs, too. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering, do you recommend getting all the material, or would the books be enough for me? Uh, the, the books um, are, are good in their own sense. It's meant to wake a person up a different way, a different style of writing. I don't go through stuff boringly and dryly. I shock people by symbols and statements and, and showing you how the language itself is coded, which works on your mind. You, you're literally programmed. Uh, but whereas the, the CDs go into a lot of the histories, the ancient histories, down through the centuries of the techniques that were used in other peoples up to the present time. Okay, thanks, because actually that's not very interesting, because that's actually, um, I've, ever since I've been a kid, I'm like very, very interested in history, and uh, like a particular scholar remembering dates, just just trying to learn and, and, and stuff about, you know, where we come from, where we're going, I guess. So you would recommend getting the books with the audios, too? Yes, it, it certainly complements. It gives a much bigger picture to realize just how old the system is and how it's been implemented before in different phases by using these techniques, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for calling. Bye, Bye now. And here's a, a little statement before I finish with Charles Galton Darwin. Again, a guy who belonged to the Future Society, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and all the big boys who run the world and run the real government. 
And on page 189, he said, he said, he's talking about slavery being existing down through society, down through time. He says, one of the triumphs of our golden age has been that slavery has been abolished over a great part of the earth. It's difficult to see how this condition can be maintained in the hard work of the future with the starving margins. And it's to be feared that all too often a fraction of humanity will have to live in a state which, whatever it may be called, will be indistinguishable from slavery. That's page 189. So you understand that nothing is new. Nothing here at all is new we're going through. Right down to gender issues, uh, transgenders, post-humanism, all that kind of stuff was planned a long time ago and long before Darwin I came out with this stuff in the 1950s, following his granddaddy's uh, uh, agenda. This was always known, and they've been implementing it all down through the ages. Even the sexual revolution was, was tested in the 1920s. They went back to the drawing board, got the pill. They worked fervently to get the pill, bring down the fertility rates too, by other means on the males and females, which have been very successful which they've never openly admitted to, to actually doing, admitted to uh, wanting to do certain things with inoculations and so on, and food. And we see it plummeting, uh, and that was all planned, as I say, when our grandparents were born. Quite amazing, isn't it, to realize you're just living an agenda. As the media keeps telling you you're on the cutting edge, you know all there is to know. And they bring forth experts at the bottom level every other day, or well, every day in fact, to keep up this pretense that we're just evolving on a daily and weekly basis. Quite the joke, isn't it? Well, from a, a still cold Ontario, Canada, it's good night from Hamish the dog and myself. And may your God or your gods go with you.